Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone is having a wonderful week. Today, we are talking about a couple things that you guys have asked me in the last 24 hours to cover. One of them is the vaccine passport in New York City that was recently announced. And then we're going to stay in New York and talk about Governor Cuomo and some of the sexual harassment allegations that he is now facing. Uh, But we're also going to talk about some happy things at the end of this. I'm going to play three clips from the Olympics that I think just represent great moments. Two of them are very um, patriotic moments um, and also moments in which these athletes are giving thanks to God. And I just love it. And another one is a funny moment. So we're going to uh, end on a, a positive, happy note, but we've got to talk about some, I guess, more negative things uh, that you guys would like to hear me cover. So first, let's talk about this New York City vaccine passport. So this is according to WABC-TV, coronavirus update NYC to require proof of vaccine for indoor dining, gyms, and entertainment. Mayor Bill de Blasio announced a new proof of vaccination requirement for most indoor events in New York City, believed to be the first such mandate by an American city. It is, I yes, I believe that that is true. Dining at restaurants, working out at a gym, attending a movie or play, will all require proof of vaccination starting August 16th. Enforcement will begin on September 13th to coincide with the return of children to schools. So this is what Bill de Blasio said. So today I announce a new approach, which we are calling the key to NYC pass. The key to NYC, when you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone is vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things available in New York City. This is a miraculous place, he says literally full of wonders. If you are vaccinated, all that is going, all of that is going to be open to you. You have the key. You can open the door. If you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, says Bill de Blasio, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point that we are trying to get across. So Bill de Blasio, you'll remember, is a weirdo. Like he is a very weird, strange guy. He was recently like eating a hamburger and fries on TV to make some point that I honestly don't remember because I was so grossed out. I Just a little fact about me, I hate the sound of people eating and drinking, especially like watching it on television. I don't know. Maybe that makes me a weirdo too, but I don't even remember what point he was trying to make a couple months ago. But just in general, like this guy has proven himself to kind of be an unpopular weirdo when it comes to him being the mayor of New York City. And so this description doesn't surprise me. It's very Bill de Blasio. Now, a lot of people are understandably very upset about this, especially since he has been fumbling the leadership of New York City for a long time, not just when it comes to the budget and corruption. For example, there was this program called Thrive. I believe that's what it was called. We talked about it like a year ago when we were talking about the corruption of Cuomo and Bill de Blasio back, I think, in April of 2020 and how how badly they were handling things and had been handling both the city and the state for a very long time. We talked about, I think, this Thrive NYC is what it's called program that Bill de Blasio's wife headed up and that there were 800, there was $800,000, I believe. It might've even been 
more than that, $800,000 that she just could not account for. And the program was supposed to help um, poor students in New York City. And there was no report of any positive outcomes whatsoever. So people have no idea. People have no idea where this money went, what she did with it, what the program was supposed to accomplish, and if it actually ever accomplished anything. So that's just one example of the corruption and the mishandling of leadership um, under Bill de Blasio. Um, and the other one has been the rise in crime. There was a whole defund the police movement that we've talked about many times that happened in New York over the past year in the wake of George Floyd and talks about police racism and police brutality. And so uh, they took some funding away from the NYPD and there were some restrictions on the NYPD that made it more difficult for them to police. Um, certain neighborhoods, and we saw violent crime and homicides skyrocket in the city over the past year. So apparently... That doesn't warrant attention, Uh, but the minimal at this point, thankfully, deaths by COVID uh, in New York do warrant uh, this kind of what I would call authoritarian policy. Um, We've talked about many times uh, the rate of death for coronavirus. It is real. It does kill people. It does send people to the hospital. Apparently, data is, is showing that the Delta variant is slightly more contagious and slightly more deadly than the original uh, than the original coronavirus. But you've still got, according to CDC numbers anyway, and that's really what we've got as far as data goes, uh, you've still got, if you are under the age of 60, a 99.6% chance of surviving. If you are under the age of 20, you've got like a 99.999% chance of surviving. So that doesn't mean that no one dies. It doesn't mean that no one goes to the hospital. Unfortunately, those things do happen even in kids, but it is very rare. It's It also should be noted, as we've talked about before, that RSV, that bronchitis, that croup, that hand, foot, and mouth um, are going around right now in very serious and severe strains among kids. So a lot of kids um, are in the hospital with RSV. There are kids being put on vid- ventilators with RSV, but no one wants to report that. No one wants to talk about that. No one's creating vaccine passports or policy based on that because no one cares, uh, at least in the media or apparently in the government, if a, if a kid gets sick and dies from something that is not uh, the coronavirus. So as, uh, as I say, this is um, a lot of virtue signaling when people say that you have to do XYZ mitigating uh, mitigating tactic when it comes to COVID to protect the children. Children in general, in general, are not at risk here. They are at risk for a lot of other things that people don't care about, that people don't talk about, that people don't take any mitigating measures to uh, to prevent. Um, so uh, Bill de Blasio goes on to say as he is defending this vaccine mandate, not everyone is going to agree with this. I understand that. But for some people, this is going to be the life-saving act. We are putting a mandate in place. It will guarantee a much a much higher level of vaccination in this city. That is the key to protecting people and the key to our recovery. That's why it's the key to NYC. The key to NYC Pass opens a lot of doors and we need it. So my guess is that most people in New York City, uh, being the liberal city that it is, has gotten the vaccine. Um, And everyone who wants the vaccine has already gotten it. Um, now, I understand that this kind of coercive tactic might just, you know, push some people who are trying to decide whether or not to get it over the edge uh, to actually get it. But I, I would say that everyone who wants to get it at this point probably 
already has. Um, and I would say that that probably accounts for the vast majority of people um, in New York City. So it's really, in my opinion, more of a punitive measure just to make it very burdensome, very cumbersome, very difficult to live as an unvaccinated person. I think some things there's something that people don't understand. It seems to be a really big misunderstanding is that unvaccinated uh, means that you are infected with something. So if you don't have a vaccine um, against uh, measles or something, that that means that you are carrying measles and that you are contagious and that you're going to infect other people with measles. Well, that's not true. No matter what you are or are not inoculated against, um, it doesn't mean that you are carrying or are not carrying it necessarily. And so an unvaccinated person walking about and going into a New York City bar doesn't mean that that person is going to pass coronavirus. Now, I understand the argument that uh, you can be asymptomatic and maybe, maybe, maybe you're more likely to be asymptomatic and have it if you don't have the vaccine and you could pass it that way. But if everyone else is vaccinated and you're saying that the vaccines work, then I just don't really understand that logic. Uh, the people who are most vulnerable to this are people who are above the age of 60. You've got about a 95% chance of survival, so still a very high chance of survival. Uh, a 5% chance of, of death when it comes to a virus is a really big chance. Like, I don't want to minimize that. Now, of course, um, that also includes people who are above the age of 80 years old in that category. It also includes people with a lot of underlying conditions that make it more likely for them to die. So people over the age of 60 that are generally healthy, especially ages like 60 to 70, probably have a much higher risk of survival than, say, someone who has diabetes who is over the age of 75. And yet, when the CDC kind of brings down these categories, it's mostly 60 plus, and uh, your rate of survival drops dramatically from like 99% uh, under the age of 60 to 95% over the age um, of 60. But most of those people have already gotten the vaccine. The CDC has reported that 80 to 90% of people over the age of 60, that at risk group, um, are already vaccinated. And everyone else has a 99% plus chance of surviving. And so, again, I just don't really see the logic behind this. It doesn't mean that people aren't dying. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be smart. I definitely don't think that you should go out if you're sick. I definitely think that you should cover your cough. I definitely think that you should wash your hands. Asymptomatic cases spreading, the data is really mixed on that as to whether or not they are effectively spreading this virus at the same level as someone who is symptomatic is. Like I just think that common sense um, would really carry us a long way, but it seems like we threw that out the window a long time ago. Another problem with the logic, I think, of this uh, vaccine pass to get into anywhere in New York City um, is that it doesn't uh, it doesn't include people who have already gotten infected. Whereas if you look at other countries, um, you can show either that you were vaccinated or that you've been previously infected to be able to access um, a, a certain store or bar or uh, indoor area. And I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with that, but that makes a little bit more sense because if you've already had it, then you have the antibodies. I mean, vaccination works or it's supposed to. This vaccine is a little bit different, but it's supposed to work in the same way as getting anti antibodies from an infection does. Um, you are protected from at least serious 
strains of the virus for the most part. Um, if you got the vaccine, that's what we're being told, uh, or if you actually got infected with COVID, and yet people who have gotten infected and have those antibodies aren't allowed into these spaces, the antibodies probably have higher protection for you than the protection that you're getting from the vaccine. I know that's scandalous to say. I understand. I do understand why it is smart for some people to get the vaccine. Absolutely. Um, Because you don't want to risk actually getting COVID and going to the hospital, especially if you're older or have an underlying condition. But for people who have already had it and have the antibodies, it doesn't make sense to exclude them. Um, And then also, Bill de Blasio said that right now, kids are not going to be excluded. Right now, kids are not going to be excluded from these spaces under the age of 12 because they haven't been vaccinated. So So he's saying that if someone is a 12-year-old, a 12-year-old who has not been vaccinated, they are going to be excluded from these spaces? Like, how is that going to work? How evil, how cruel is that? A 12-year-old, I mean, if the parent thinks it's best and, you know, there are a lot of different factors maybe that comes into play, but a 12-year-old doesn't need, they don't need to be vaccinated. They have a 99.999 percent chance of surviving. That is comparable to their chances with the flu. And we've never had a vaccine passport for the flu vaccine when it comes to kids. I mean, like I said, kids are dying. They die from the flu. They die from RSV. They die from pneumonia. I don't want a kid to get COVID. I don't want them to go to the hospital or die from COVID. I absolutely don't. But from what we see from the the science, it is rare for them to get it in a serious way. It's also actually rare for them to transmit it. There were studies that were performed um, in, in schools over the past year that show uh, that teachers are no more likely, teachers who are in the classroom were no more likely to get COVID uh, than the general public. And so um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I think, to burden kids in this way. And it also tells me that when the vaccine um, is a allowed for kids who are under the age of 12 that apparently they're going to be excluded from places as well. I just can't imagine that. Like if you're a parent and you got the vaccine yourself and you decide, you know what, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, for my kid, for my toddler to get this. I just don't know a whole lot about it yet. I kind of want to see some long-term studies of this when we have the time to be able to do that. I'm just not willing to get my kid vaccinated. They have a really, really good chance of not getting it and not getting a serious, um, serious symptoms from this. So you're not going to be able to bring your kids places. I mean, think about all the places that people want to bring their kids in New York City. Like, okay, so you're telling me the American Girl doll store in New York City, what, it's going to be filled with a bunch of vaccinated adults? Or you're only going to allow the little seven-year-old girl who has been dreaming of this day for her entire short life, you're going to say that that little girl has to get vaccinated before going to the American Girl doll store? I mean, come on, this just doesn't make any sense. Again, if Everyone in the most at-risk group, almost everyone in the most at-risk group is already vaccinated. And if the vaccine works, and if everyone 12 and older has already had the opportunity to get vaccinated, um, so that means everyone who is scared of the virus uh, is probably vaccinated, then it doesn't make sense to mandate vaccines for kids or even mandate masks for kids because everyone who wants to get vaccinated, especially the most at-risk people have already been vaccinated. Everyone who is under the age of 20 has a 99.99999% chance of survival. 
So it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Um, Bill de Blasio said that we have to figure out how to do things in a safe manner. Children younger than 12 will not be excluded from venues right now. Um, like I said, which also, again, just the logic of this, it, it just goes to show that this is not really about safety because you keep hearing from this crowd that kids actually are transmitting it, that they are actually vectors for the virus, that they're just as at risk as, you know, the 85 year old. And so they have to wear masks and they have to get vaccinated when the vaccine um, is, is available. And yet, okay, so right now though, you're allowing them into these venues. So you're obviously not scared of them. Like, are you scared of them? Are you not scared of them? If they really are vectors of the virus, as a lot of people on the left say that they are, unscientifically, I might add, then why are you allowing them into these venues? So that kind of supports the argument that this really is a punitive measure for people who are not vaccinated. Now, I've said before, and I stand beside, like, I don't mind voluntary incentives from the government to get the vaccine. Like, I actually didn't mind Biden's door-to-door campaign. I don't mind people encouraging people to get the vaccine and, you know, doing risk assessment and calculations for people. I think that's fine. Like I've said a million times, it's none of your business is not if I'm vaccinated. It's none of my business if you're vaccinated. I personally don't care when looking at um, the numbers on all of this. A lot of people's, you know, a lot of people's just coerciveness when it comes to this, just it doesn't make sense based on the science um, that I am looking at. But I don't care if people really want to encourage other people to get vaccinated. I think that's fine. But when it comes to segregating society along these lines, when it comes to this kind of virus and the risk that it holds for people, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I think that there will be businesses who do not enforce this. This has been a really hard year for small businesses. And I think it's going to be very difficult for them to turn paying customers away who chose not to get the vaccine. I think that there's going to be probably a lack of enforcement uh, when it comes to this. A lot of people, of course, are asking me, what do I do? What do I do? I don't know. I mean, if you live in New York City, And if you go to New York City, like, you know what you're getting. It's liberal leadership. They are more apt to do something like this. Max Boot tweeted a couple weeks ago, I think we talked about it on this podcast, that Saudi Arabia, because they have vaccine passports, are more progressive than the United Saudi Arabia, where women, like, were just allowed to drive (laughs) for the first time. is more, quote, progressive. Like, this apparently is an admission from progressives that progressivism is just a form of authoritarianism, which, of course, we have known for a long time. Kevin McCarthy, uh, representative from California, said Republicans have been warning against vaccine passports for months. Leave it to New York Democrats to lead such a blatant abuse of power. Vaccine ports are un-American, period. Republicans will oppose any attempt to expand such a disastrous policy. I mean, you've already seen in places like Texas and Florida and South Dakota that this is not happening. Just because you think something is good doesn't mean that you have to mandate it. That is something that it seems like progressives don't completely understand. Um, There are a lot of conservative commentators that have Uh, been talking about the hypocrisy of this. Uh, And, you know, obviously a lot of people are for it. A lot of people think it's great. Um, A lot of people are very, very scared and they're only going to go outside if they know that everyone around them is um, is vaccinated. These are also the people that after they're vaccinated are probably still 
double masking or, and are going to socially distance. As we've talked about before, it's become a religion for a lot of people. They're not going to easily let it go. And it's become about power for a lot of politicians. And they're certainly, that's just the nature of power and the nature of people in power. They're certainly not going to uh, let that go easily. Another thing about the vaccine passports is that it's inevitably going to lead to racial disparities. Because according to Bloomberg, there's actually a lot of data on this. Black Americans, um, black Americans are the least likely right now to be vaccinated. Um, and so if that's the case, uh, then unfortunately, this is going to lead to black people in New York City and in other cities that create vaccine passports being pushed out of places that require them. And again, it's not an access issue at this point. There have been millions and millions of dollars that have been poured into programs to get black people vaccinated. So at this at, at this point, if adult if an adult is not vaccinated, it's because they don't want to be vaccinated, like I said, and that includes black Americans, um, very few of which comparatively are vaccinated. So in this time of anti-racism where Ibram X. Kendi is saying that any kind of law or any kind of policy that leads to different outcomes for black or white people is racist, we are going to be making a mandate that we know is going to lead to those kinds of inequalities. Now, I don't agree. I don't agree with Ibram X. Kendi that a law that has disparate outcomes is necessarily racist. But a lot of people on the left do like they have embraced that kind of idea. And so how are they simultaneously embracing something like this that we know is going to lead to disparate outcomes because so few black Americans have chosen to get vaccinated? And another point is that we are hearing all the time from Democrats that showing any form of ID in order to vote is racist. And we were told very condescendingly that it's because black people might not necessarily know. They don't know where to go to, uh, you know, get their ID. They might not have an ID. But you're telling me that in order to access certain places, in particular cities, that you not only uh, that you not only ha have to have a smartphone, but you also have to be able to download the app after you've been vaccinated. All of those are are barriers that some people are going to have to overcome that they're not able to overcome because they either don't want to get the vaccine, of course, or they don't have an iPhone or they don't want to download the app, whatever it is. Um, but if people are sophisticated and smart enough, people of all races to, uh, to you know, be able to download this app and use it in the proper way in order to enter certain spaces, then surely they're smart enough to have an ID to be able to vote. I mean, the the hypocrisy here, it's really it's it's really just amazing. But um, I don't think that we're going to get much reporting on that from the media. I do want to talk about what um, a celebrity recently said about unvaccinated people in just one second. But before I do that, I got to tell you guys about Good Ranchers. You guys know at this point, if you listen to my podcast, that over 80% of the grass-fed beef sold in the United States is imported from overseas. It is, it's, it's staggering. I mean, that's a crazy statistic. You go to the grocery store 
you look at the packaging and it looks natural, it looks organic, and so you just assume that it's from the United States, but most of it is not. But I care about supporting American farms and American farmers, and that is why my husband and I get our meat from GoodRanchers.com, so that when you buy your steak and chicken, uh, you are not only getting ethically raised, sustainably sourced meat, you're also supporting American farms, which is especially important right now. Makes your life really easy. It's also super affordable. All of their product is individually wrapped. It's vacuum sealed. It's ready to grill. This helps eliminate waste. They've got American craft beef and better than organic chicken. They ship it right to your door. You can place a one-time order or better than that, you can subscribe. You can look at the Family Feast Bundle, which includes steak and chicken. If you subscribe, you get $20 off and free express shipping. That's $20 off and free express shipping for subscribing if you go to my link, which is goodranchers.com slash Allie to get $20 off and free express shipping. So go to goodranchers.com slash Allie, get $20 off and free express shipping with that link. That's goodranchers.com slash Allie. All right. I want to talk about just very quickly uh, this interview with Jennifer Aniston. Um, She apparently cut ties with friends who are unvaccinated, not people who are anti-vaccine in general, but unvaccinated and not just unvaccinated people, but people in her life apparently who just didn't feel comfortable disclosing whether or not they were vaccinated. So this is according to CNN, quote, in a new interview with InStyle, the actress admitted she's been strict about keeping vaccinated company in her circle, noting in the process that there's a large group of people who just don't listen to the facts. It's a real shame. I've just lost a few people in my weekly routine who have refused or did not disclose whether or not they have been vaccinated. And it was unfortunate, she said. I feel it's your moral and professional obligation to inform since we're not all potted up and being tested every single day. That's a bad friend. That's a bad friend. That is, again, someone who believes that if you are not vaccinated, or I guess if you just don't want to say whether or not you're vaccinated, then uh, you are infected. Like, has, have, has she ever done this with any other virus or any other disease that people are inoculated against? Like, has she ever asked? People, hey, if you don't have your flu shot, I'm going to fire you or I'm not going to be your friend anymore. If you don't have, you know, your DTAP shot, like you can't you can't be around here. Probably not. And I understand the coronavirus is more. Well, it's actually not more infectious, but it's more infectious and or more deadly um, than some of those things. But again, this just seems to be a misunderstanding of the science and an ignorance of a lot of the data surrounding this. I mean, it's just amazing the mindset that people have adopted. And it's honestly, it's depressing. It's depressing. Like I was talking about this to my team, I think it was yesterday or the other day, how even if where you live is fairly normal, it's sad that there are other parts of the country that aren't normal. Even if where you live doesn't have vaccine passports, it's sad to think that there are parts of the United States that that do, that are basically segregating people along these lines uh, based on based on their choice. Um, It's sad that when you look at an event or you look at uh, like a a show or a video from 2019 that you get sad because we had no idea what was coming to us and that that was a time that 
even though it was tumultuous in a lot of ways, was very normal and we just didn't realize it. And the question of whether or not we're ever going to go back to normal or whether this grand great reset is really going to take place. I mean, that's scary and that's burdensome for a lot of people. And I have to remind myself, because of course in 2019, I didn't think that we were in the good old days. I have to remind myself to enjoy what we have right now, the freedom that we have right now, the good times that we are able to have right now, because who knows? I mean, it's sad to think about, but maybe in two years, we're going to look back at 2020 and 2021 and be like, whoa, those were some good days. Those were some better days. So we don't want to just, you know, waste away this time being anxious about everything that's happening. Now, I, I do think that as we reject anxiety, especially as Christians, knowing that God is completely and totally 100% sovereign and nothing can thwart his will, as Job 42.2 says. We also can't be complacent about this kind of stuff. Like if you're worried about um, these kind of mandates coming into your city, like you have to hold your elected officials accountable. And certainly when it comes to different policies at your kid's school, I was just talking to someone before recording whose kids go to a private school. And because they mandated masks last year, they actually lost 15% um, of their kids. So the kids, the, the their enrollment went down by 15% because a lot of parents just didn't want their little kids sitting um, in a cloth mask all day. That does affect communication. It does affect your ability to socialize with people. It affects how you how they see other kids and their ability to trust other people. It also affects their ability to be able to learn communication uh, from their, their teacher. And so understandably, a lot of parents just didn't want that. Uh, enrollment went down by 15% last year. And so this year, because of that, they are reversing their policy. They're saying, okay, we're not doing masks this year. Like we can't afford to lose that many people. That's the difference. That's one of the differences in going to a private school versus a public school is that the dollar speaks when you're going to a private school. Like they don't want to lose enrollment. They can't afford to lose money. Whereas a public school is going to get your tax dollars no matter what. I, I do encourage you to pull your kids out of public school. You still have a right and responsibility to speak up at school board meetings because they're still your tax dollars. You still live in that community. Um, but I don't think that we should be putting our kids on the front lines, not just for COVID restriction reasons, but for biblical worldview reasons as well. Um, but your dollar and your voice actually does matter and can absolutely make a difference. Um working collectively, finding like-minded people, whether it's at your university, whether it's at your job, whether it's in your neighborhood, public school, whatever it is, private school, um, find a few like-minded people, strategize, decide how you are going to raise, as we say on this podcast, a respectful ruckus about the things that you believe in, whether it's curriculum you don't like or particular policies and restrictions that you don't like when it comes to the virus. Your voice can absolutely make a difference. And I've heard from enough of you to know uh, to know that that is true. Um, and so I know it might be a lost cause in some places like New York City, but in other places, it's not going to be. You can look at New York City, you can look at places like California, and you can see how the rest of the country uh, will go, especially under federal democratic leadership. And so make your voice heard in a way that's respectful, in a way that's data-driven. All of this information is available. Um, it's available online. A lot of you guys ask me for links, and unfortunately, I just can't get to everyone's message all the time. Um, but I would encourage you to research this stuff on your own. 
and for you to present the data in a compelling and a persuasive way uh, to those who are in power in your local community to make sure that you're living in a community that you want to live in. Um, I read this quote by Samuel Adams this morning, and I just thought it was, so it's super, it's harsh, but I thought that um, it was applicable in some ways to what we're talking about. So he says, if you love wealth better than liberty, the tranquility of servitude better than the animating cost of freedom. Go home from us in peace. We ask not your counsels or arms. Crouch down and lick the hands which feed you. May your chains set lightly upon you and may posterity forget that ye were our countrymen. A lot of people love the tranquility of servitude better than the animating contest of freedom. That um, has absolutely uh, been proven to be true. Now, I do think that there is always a balance between risk and freedom, and it's up to our policymakers uh, to help make those decisions. Unfortunately, I think that they've completely failed in making those balanced decisions for the most part over the past year. But there should be, hopefully there are, and maybe this majority is too quiet, but enough people in America that don't want to crouch down and lick the hands which feed them, who are willing to take particular risks when it comes to securing freedom. I think that we are at a turning point. We're at a turning point in American history, and it's unclear which way that we're going to go. And actually, I heard Nicole Hannah-Jones on a podcast recently say the same thing. Now, surely she means the opposite. or We both mean the same thing, but she wants the country to go in a direction that I don't. But it's going to require people standing up and a respectful and a persuasive and a bold way, um, standing up for your constitutional rights and your freedom to live in a country where people are ma- able to make um, make choices uh, that are best for themselves and their families without the coercion and the burden of the government. But in order to think that way, like you have to, you have to believe in something that's bigger than yourself, and even. Uh, you know, bigger than temporary guarantees of safety. There is a risk inherent to freedom. The question is always how much risk are you willing to take? If you are willing to take no risks at all, then I encourage you to stay home and just get out of the way of people who... um, who value their who value their liberty? Um, all right, we're going to get into this Andrew Cuomo story. Um, if you haven't heard about this, he has been accused of sexual harassment by current and former state employees in violation of federal and state laws. There's been an investigation into this by New York Attorney General Letitia James, um, and apparently he has been found guilty of that. Here's what the New York Times says. Governor Andrew Cuomo sexually harassed multiple women, including current and former government workers, breaking state and federal laws and engaging in a pattern of unwanted touching and inappropriate comments, according to a much-anticipated report from the New York State Attorney General Letitia James. The 165-page report said that Mr. Cuomo, a third-term Democrat, and his aides cultivated a toxic work culture in his office that was rife with fear and intimidation and helped enable harassment to occur and created a hostile work environment. Uh, Megyn Kelly tweeted... um, tweeted out some of the report from the New York Attorney General, who said that Governor Cuomo grabbed uh, his assistant's breast under her blouse, felt up the stomach 
uh, in back of a state trooper and asked for her help finding a girlfriend who, quote, can handle pain, told a young aide he was lonely and wanted to be touched, kissed employees um, uh, against their will on the lips. And so there, unfortunately, have been a lot of reports like this um, and pressuring uh, young young staffers to be a part of his, you know, basically his posse and then feeling pressured not to be able to say no. Um, he has released a, a statement that we are going to play. We're going to play part of it, basically defending himself. If you're watching on YouTube, I will, you'll be able to see me kind of react in real time to his, what I think is a very strange defense against accusations of sexual harassment. Here it is. The New York Times published a front page picture of me touching a woman's face at a wedding and then kissing her on the cheek. That is not front page news. (laughs) I've been making the same gesture in public all my life. I actually learned it from my mother and from my (laughs) father. It is meant to convey warmth, nothing more. Indeed, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of photos of me using the exact same gesture. I do it with everyone, black and white, young. <laughs> He's an equitable and harasser. Old, straight, and LGBTQ. So progressive. Powerful people, friends, strangers. <laughs> People who I meet on the street. After the event, the woman told the press that she took offense at the gesture. And for that, I apologize. Another woman stated that I kissed her on the forehead at our Christmas party and that I said, ciao, Bella. (laughs) Now, I don't remember doing it. But I'm sure that I did. Ciao, Bella. I do kiss people on the forehead. I do kiss people on the cheek. I do kiss people on the hand. I do embrace people. I do hug people, men and women. I do on occasion say, ciao, Bella. (laughs) On occasion, (sighs) I do slip and say, sweetheart. Or darling, or honey. Okay, that's good. I. All right. So basically, his defense is that look, he does this all the time. So what's the big deal? I mean, he kisses black people and gay people. So who are who are we? Who are we to accuse him of inappropriate behavior? Now, let me be fair. I understand in some. I understand in some way what he's talking about here like he is just a touchy guy apparently you know this hasn't been national news and so why is it national news now and democrats are patting themselves on the back the liberal media is patting themselves on the back for this that oh we hold our leaders to account we did the same thing with al franken look we're so we have so much integrity we have so much we have so much honor unlike you republicans who elected and accused sexual assaulter and sexual harasser. Wait, wait, wait. 
first of all, people have been saying this about Andrew Cuomo for a long time. Why it's just now becoming national news, why there's just now um, an investigation into it, I don't know. Personally, I think that there are some nefarious reasons behind this. I think there are probably some selfish motivations here behind why uh, now Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden are both saying that Andrew Cuomo could resign. This is just out. This is this is not within the the character of the Democratic Party to do things like this. I mean, you also elected someone who has been accused of sexual assault. I know that some people like to pretend like that's not true. Like Joe Biden was not accused of sexual assault, uh, an accusation that was substantiated by other people at the time, or at least that she told the the same story to other people at the time. Um, I, I know that people like to pretend like that didn't happen, but it, it did happen. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, other people who have been Democrats in Congress for a long time are some of the most obviously, ostensibly uh, corrupt people in the United States. Please don't tell me that you hold people accountable. Um, I Again, I don't know the motivations behind the liberal press and behind the Democratic Party for trying to hold Andrew Cuomo accountable when it comes to this, but I just have a hard time. Call me a cynic. Call me partisan. I have a hard time believing that it's just because of honor and integrity and because they care about the voices of these alleged victims. Now, I think his behavior was inappropriate. I think he probably is a little bit of a sketchy guy. More than just like the kissing on that on the forehead and the head and the chow bella, like more than that, it's some of the stuff that people have said that he said um, and how he kind of pressured women into being around him and saying things that made him uncomfortable. You do have to think about the power deferential there. Like it's different for him to kiss Bill Clinton on the cheek. Um, it, that's different than him going up to a 22 year old intern and putting his hand on her his hands are around her face and kissing her on the forehead and saying ciao bella like that is going to be a lot more uncomfortable because that 22 year old girl doesn't feel like she can say no she doesn't feel like she can say hey i'm uncomfortable with that and she might feel intimidated she might be worried about what he's going to say to her make her do how he makes her feel all that kind of stuff that is not true when he's talking about interacting with someone like Bill Clinton in the same way. Um, so I do think his behavior is inappropriate. But you know what I think is a lot more inappropriate than him, you know, kissing a girl on a forehead, uh, on her forehead, is stuffing COVID positive elderly New Yorkers back into nursing homes purposely. I mean, this is something that we talked about at the time again last April. This is something that should be um, totally scandalous. Like this should be why Democrats and why everyone is calling on him to resign because of his mandate back in March of 2020 that COVID positive uh, patients should be placed back into their nursing homes while they are still positive. That spread coronavirus in a way that it did not have to be spread, that it should not have been spread among uh, elderly uh, nursing home residents and that consequently killed thousands of them. That was avoidable. But because of his failure in leadership, because of his corruption in leadership, um, he unfortunately made a, a fatal mistake that has scarred 
uh, the lives of families forever. We've had Janice Dean on this podcast talking about this before, um, that unfortunately this affected uh, her family members who died because of this order. And it had to do with, uh, with the budget. It had to do with Medicaid. It had to do with previous decisions that Cuomo had made about hospitals in New York that he was trying to cover up and have quicker turnover by placing these positive uh, coronavirus patients back into nursing homes. And so it was an absolute failure. It ended in the ending of lives of thousands of elderly New Yorkers and most people don't care. There are a lot of people who have been trying to sound the alarms about this. Janice Dean, I think, being on the forefront of that. But unfortunately, a lot of Democrats don't care about that. And the reason why uh, they don't want to talk about that and they don't want to um, draw attention to that is uh, because that is going to then open up Uh, open them up to criticism about how Democrats across the country have handled coronavirus in general. I mean, Governor Whitmer uh, had had the same issue. She did basically the same thing. Pennsylvania basically did the same thing. Um, And so Democrats just aren't willing to open themselves up to that kind of criticism. I think that's part of the reason why uh, why Governor Cuomo is being, you know, raked over the coals for this, but not for his handling of COVID. I mean, the press just fawned over him. The New York Times, NBC, CNN, all talked about how wonderful Governor Cuomo was, how great of a leader he was, like he was seen as the uh, hero against the evil Trump administration. I guarantee you, by the way, that Andrew Cuomo really misses the Trump administration because that allowed him to be placed on a pedestal as kind of like the anti-Trump. Chelsea Handler talked about how, you know, attracted she was to Governor Cuomo. It was a really weird time. Like they raised him to this place of God and now he is a credibly accused sexual uh, sexual harasser who also you know, he he his decisions led to the death of thousands of people. So it's embarrassing for them. Uh, I highly doubt that they are going to um, apologize for how they uh, elevated and glorified him. But that's where we are. And don't allow anyone on the left to say this shows honor and integrity of Democrats in the liberal press, because this is one exception uh, to the rule that, in general, the liberal media um, allows Democrats to get to uh, to escape responsibility from many from many of the things that they do. Um, all right, we are going to now talk about some fun things. We are going to um, show you some clips from the Olympics. People who are not Gwen Berry, who are showing a lot of patriotism. Um, and are showing their love of country and their love of God. And then that one funny clip that I will play for you guys. Before we get into that, though, I want to tell you guys about Alliance Defending Freedom. This is a wonderful organization. So as you guys know, Congress is controlled by far-left ideologues trying to crush the values and institutions that have made America a beacon of freedom and liberty since its founding. For 27 years, Alliance Defending Freedom has been standing up for religious liberty, the sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights in America's highest courts. ADF does all of this at no cost to their clients, which is truly remarkable. It's completely 
funded by the generosity of patriots of patriots like you. They've had a lot of high-profile cases that have helped uh, secure the rights and uh, helped guarantee the rights of Americans like you and me that care about our constitutional uh, liberties. With the family freedom and even basic biological reality under constant attack, ADF needs your support now more than ever. Go to ADF Legal. Dot org slash Allie and get your copy of ADF's ebook titled Generational Wins absolutely free. That's ADFlegal.org slash Allie to get that free ebook. That's ADFlegal.org slash Allie. All right, I want to first play you a clip uh, from gold medalist wrestler from the United States, Tamira Mensa Stock. I mean, she is the exact Opposite in her attitude from Gwen Berry, you will remember Gwen Berry was the one who, um, I guess it was an Olympic qualifier, and she stood on the podium. She got third place. She stood on the podium, and she crossed her arms, and she looked straight at the camera when the national anthem played, and she said the national anthem doesn't represent her, um, that you know America is this systemically racist place, and so she's not proud to represent the United States. And, of course, she caused um, a, a lot of waves for doing that, which is probably her intention exactly, while um, Tamira Mintz's stock shows a lot of patriotism in this clip, and you can't listen to it or watch it without smiling. Here it is. That American flag around your shoulders looks pretty good. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent USA! Ah, I love it. You love to see it. Good for her. Congratulations. For getting the gold medal in wrestling, I can't even imagine what that feeling is to work for something that long your whole life and to represent the country that has helped afford you that opportunity, the country that you love. Um, this kind of attitude, like if this was the attitude that all of um, all of our athletes, all of our uh, you know pop culture stars represented, I guarantee you we would be so much more unified as a country. And then there was this awesome clip of uh, two runners from the United States. One got the gold medal, one got the silver medal, and I just loved their camaraderie and their attitude and how they both thank the Lord uh, for their success. And then um, make sure you listen to the end of this little clip too because I thought that was really cool. Just trusting the process, giving the glory to God. Uh, it's all this season, hard work, dedication, and just really grateful to be able to represent my country in this opportunity. And Delilah, for you, you overcame COVID, so many injuries to get back to this Olympic final. Just describe this uh, this journey back to this moment for yourself. Uh, it definitely was a journey, just full of so many ups and downs. So it's just thankful to God for getting me to this point, 51.5. I'm not sure, 51.5 was yeah. the time. <laughs> um, just so thankful, so thankful to end on with a silver medal for the USA. Well, Sydney, uh, on the other side of the world, as you were running, Union Catholic High School was going crazy. Yes. You have to see this, the moment as they watched you circle the track. You and Delilah both, you know, pushing each other. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, my gosh. I can see my high school coach, my principal. It's just an awesome opportunity being able to represent them all back home. Excellent. So is this the example of iron sharpening iron? 100%. Ladies, congratulations. Thanks. Thank you. 
So way to go, NBC, Iron Sharpens Iron, even on their Instagram, like the caption of these two runners was, Iron sharpens iron. I don't maybe I don't know if they know that's a, a proverb, uh, but I thought that that was really cool. And again, if like we saw this kind of thing more often, just people like thanking the Lord, thanking their country, coming together. I mean, we would be way better off as a country. Isn't this not? Is this not more uh, just joy-inducing and uh, just more God-glorifying than someone, you know, sticking their bottom lip out uh, at the country that has allowed them to achieve so much? And that sense of just anger and resentment and entitlement that unfortunately we see uh, from a lot of people who are representing the United States Um, I love to see this, and I I wish we would see more of it, and I hope that we do. They're setting a great example. Now, I want to play you a little part of of, um, a longer clip that I watched. These are three weightlifters. One of them is from the United States, and she is asked about Laurel Hubbard, uh, the transgender person, uh, the man who uh, competed against them in weightlifting. And uh, listen closely, here's, here's her response. It was a historic night here uh, with Laurel Hubbard competing as the first openly transgender in a, uh, in a uh, individual event. And I was wondering you know, what you felt about that and what you felt that, that it took place in, in your sport. No, thank you. Good answer. Good answer. That's probably that's probably the safest answer that you that you could could give if you are someone who thinks it's unfair, which I'm sure she does. Uh, now, unfortunately, the activists are probably still going to cancel her. That wasn't satisfactory to them because you have to celebrate and embrace all of their absurdity in order to be. Um, approved of by them, but I hope this athlete doesn't care. I hope that she stands strong in her no thank you. I just really appreciated that. Honestly, that like took a little bit of boldness not to answer that question. She could have come up with some, you know, canned answer about inclusion and celebration and all of that, but she didn't say anything because female athletes, a lot of female athletes, understandably are frustrated and upset by men entering their spaces that they have worked so hard to protect for so long. So there are a lot of, I, I know, annoying instances, political instances from the Olympics um, that people have been rolling their eyes about over the past couple of weeks. Of course, there was the Simone Biles drama that I gave my thoughts on last week. Um, but these were three instances that I hope that we can come together on and celebrate and also laugh at. All right, that is all I have for today. We will be back here tomorrow. Tomorrow, we are finally going to do that episode, unless something crazy happens overnight that we have to talk about. We're finally going to do the theology of motherhood. I'm going to talk about motherhood tomorrow. A lot of you have been asking me to do that. So we will take a break from the news and politics and discuss that tomorrow on Thursday. I'll see you guys then.